0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U Mobile. 5G now with you.
1: I'm Wong Xiaoning and this is The Breakfast Grill. 2022 started with such promise the world was coming out of its COVID hibernation, economies were reopening, but that optimism proved short-lived. Russia invaded Ukraine, commodity prices shot through the roof, and inflation went from transitory to hyper. Added to that mix, the era of cheap money came to an end and with that, the nail on the coffin, equity and fixed-income markets went into free fall. Some of that pessimism has, of course, waned. But will 2023 actually be the year of opportunity? What are the markets and even stocks that we should pay attention to? For answers, we'll turn to our regular guests on our biannual no breakfast-grill outlook, Anand patner Head of Regional Equity Research at Maybank Investment Bank, and Patrick Chang, Chief Investment Officer at Equities ASEAN at Principal Asset Management. Thank you for coming in again, gentlemen. I could be mean and start with who was right and wrong when we last spoke. But let's just start with 2023 and the economy. So, Anand, I'll start with you. Bull or bear? Will this year be better for Asian markets than last year?
0: Uh, We are relative bulls for 2023. uh, And there are a couple of reasons for that. I think we see GDP growth slowing this year, of course. So, we're going from 8% uh, forecast for 2022 to 4% uh, in 2023. But GDP growth is not the whole story. I think there are a couple other things that will drive the market higher this year. So just three things. One is the political situation is a lot more stable. So I think the political risk premium for the market will steadily come off uh, through the course of the year and and support higher valuations. The second thing is corporate earnings growth, we think will be actually quite strong in 2023, despite the GDP slowdown. So we're looking at a market earnings growth of about 16%, uh, quite chunky, Mm -hmm. A lot of that is uh, due to the Chukai Makmo effect, obviously, that that has depressed the base in 2022. But we see, you know, uh, good momentum in a lot of big cap sectors like telcos, uh, utilities, uh, banks in particular as well. Uh, And the third thing is, I think, you know, we are seeing thematics like supply chain relocation uh, really taking off. I think that's going to be a structural thematic for many years to come. And Malaysia is seeing its fair share of benefits from uh, investments being relocated out of China into the region, especially Malaysia. And that will lift uh, our GDP uh, profile as
2: well.
1: Okay, what about you, Patrick? Do you agree with Anand or is this where you start popping up caveats?
2: Uh, no, I'm a big bull on uh, Asia, as you know. And uh, finally, I'm right, as you said, on <laughs> China. Uh, and so, if you wait
1: I, long enough, every investment might be right, unless it goes bust, right?
2: Yeah, but I think I think there are what we call uh, our view is that we to see some silver linings uh, in the market, right? Um, And of course, uh, the bogeyman out there is inflation in the US and and also this recession fears that we talk about in developed markets. But uh, I do believe that, uh, you know, we do believe that, um, you know, Asian markets this year is going to be in a sweet spot. Um, I hate to use the word decoupling, Mm. uh, but if you've seen that in early November up until December itself, China has started to outperform based on the fact that, you know, uh, the zero-COVID policy has been lifted. uh, A lot of policies have been made in the right manner faster than we anticipated. Initially, we thought that this will come probably after Chinese New Year, but obviously the new uh, administration in China itself, post-party the Congress, has made very measured positive uh, uh, moves towards making sure that the decline in the growth that we've seen over the last 12 months have uh, started to improve. Now, having said that, I don't believe that uh, in the first quarter itself, because of uh, the removal of zero COVID in China itself, we are going to see an acceleration in terms of the number of uh, uh, cases mm. in China and that could dampen uh, growth. But I think looking forward to the next six to nine months, uh, we're hopeful that China will lift all boats across the region and that will can create that kind of sentiment towards uh, EM as well, right?
1: Mm. Uh,
2: so I think based on those uh, 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 facts, you know, uh, we are kind of positive
1: on Asia. Okay, I'll come back to China in a minute and how we could play this reopening theme. Oh. But, you know, Anand, we keep hearing talk of recession in the US, right? Uh, And I think even the IMF is warning that one-third of the world is heading for one this year. So, recession is clearly the new word. Last year, it was inflation. So, how worried should we be? I mean, your house view at Maybank uh, for Malaysia GDP, 4%. But what if the global recession turns out to be prolonged and deep, Anand? Then what happens to the Malaysian economy? What are the levers we can pull to push ourselves out of a a slowdown?
0: Yeah, okay. So to start with, we do expect sort of a technical recession uh, Mm. in many parts of the developed world, including the US uh, in 2023. But our overall GDP growth expectation, uh, say for the US, uh, EU, uh, is still positive for 2023. So maybe we have one or two quarters of negative growth. uh, And that's inevitable, really, given the pace of interest rate increases, uh, given uh, the inflation shock uh, to consumers in these economies. But... You know, we're not talking about a, a year of negative GDP growth, just to make that clear.
1: Okay. Obviously, so is it a, yeah. a, a tail of two halves then, almost? Oh,
0: that is a conventional thinking right now. That The first half will remain quite difficult for this year mm-hmm. because we're still seeing a lot of headwinds on the inflation and interest rate side. We're not done with the interest rate. And the Fed is yet. not done yet, right? The Fed Terminal not Terminal
1: rate, I mean, isn't it within sight?
0: Within sight, but still substantially higher, we think. We're at 4.5% now. Mm-hmm. We think another 75 to 100 basis points increase by the second quarter of this year is likely. So, that will continue to have a breaking effect uh, on the US economy yeah. and by extension, uh, much of the world. Uh, but for Malaysia, uh, we are, or ASEAN as a whole, we're relatively shielded. We still have the reopening tailwinds, uh, fading a little bit, obviously. 2022 was when we felt the, the big push. Uh, but 2023, we'll still enjoy that. We have a couple of buffers. You, you asked about buffers. Intra ASEAN trade is very robust. As a block, actually, it's not China or the US, which is our biggest trading partner, it's our ASEAN neighbors. And that remains very robust. Also, in terms of monetary policy, we have not tightened anywhere near as much as the developed world.
1: Okay, So, so but yeah. likely 25 basis points think, on this 18-19 MPC meeting?
0: Yeah, we think 25 basis points, more to 3%. But if you look at it in perspective, that is going from accommodative monetary policy to neutral. Mm. We're not restrictive like much of the developed world. Yeah? So monetary policy as a whole is still very conducive for economic growth. And on the fiscal side, um, you know... we. We talk a lot about subsidies, you know, being adjusted and potential tax policy changes. But our thinking has changed a little bit. We don't think it will happen this year. We think potentially it's going to be a 2024 event. So that potential disruption to our economic forecast is probably deferred. Yeah, it's not going to happen this year.
1: Okay, we'll come back to the budget, but I want to talk about China, Patrick, because you say that, you know, it's like this boat, you know, you know, like the raising tide lifts all boats kind of e- equation. But when I look at the consensus numbers for China's GDP for 2023, on Bloomberg, it shows 4.8%. Okay, it's pretty good for a, such a huge country. But is it going to be enough to pull the rest out of Asia if there is a slump, no? Well,
2: at the very margin, right, the fact of the matter is that if you lift the zero COVID, right, mm. consumption is going to rise, right? Yes. And there's huge amounts of pent-up demand uh, from, for example, tourism.
1: But isn't there some structural issues within China itself? Look at the property uh, yeah. market is one, one thing, right? Without, <laughs>
2: without a doubt, right? But I think what we're trying to say here, right, is that the policymaking from the Chinese government is going to continue to be more pragmatic. And the pace in which it is going today is pretty fast and furious, as I mentioned earlier on, mm. right? And it surprised me in December as well, right? You've talked about, for example, the policy making towards the housing market. Recently, as well as of last couple of days, there's also now more news flow on the technology sector, like Alibaba, for example, right? They're going to launch their IPOs on, on the consumer side. Mm. And, 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 and it will be a matter of time to see post-Chinese year when Party Congress meets again, what they're going to probably see, look and say, okay, is, are these measures enough? If they're not, then... You know, my my personal view is that we could see a March 2009 kind of scenario where they may go all out, right? So I think investors need to think about a very more pragmatic Chinese government today. Yes, there are going to be a lot of issues, structural issues longer term, but in the shorter term, in the next six months, and that's what markets are focused on, is where is the direction of policymaking? Is it going to be more stimulative or more restrictive? Our view is it's going to be more obviously less restrictive.
1: Okay, so the trillion dollar question, how do we make money from this? Uh, You know, because we've had different strategists also share your view, saying that China is going to be the big buy theme for 2023. Now, do we look at H shares, A shares or ADRs or some even suggest look at commodities, right? Mm. Because we saw that in past China booms, commodities, flew: copper, coal, nickel, you name it, all rallied. What, What is your view, Patrick?
2: I mean, I, I think the, the value, obviously, is in the head share. That got battered the most, right? I mean, mm. facts By itself, right? I mean, we've had about a downturn since March 2021, about 18 months of decline up until early October, late, late October, early November, and then we saw a 40% jump in the head share market. Even despite the fact that it's bounced back quite substantially, you're still thinking about you know, about a low teens kind of PEs, right, with very moderate kind of earnings growth, right? Now, assuming our assumption that uh, uh, the economy starts to rebound, then you're going to get more and more upgrades. And that's going to push it. Secondly, FOMO is in, in play today, right? Okay. And FOMO, FOMO,
1: for those who don't know, it's the fear of missing out. And yeah. let me tell you, fund managers have great FOMO. Yeah. So tell me about this FOMO.
2: And, you know, FOMO is real, right? So let me give you some facts, right? Northbound trades yesterday, 12.7 billion RMB, which includes to 1 billion US dollars to the share market. Just in, in a, a day. A, in a day, right? Last five days, Hong Kong, southbound, right? Incredible. $2.2 billion US dollars inflows into the head share market. So if you ask me, where do you invest? I would invest in both, right? H or A, right? Because all boats get lifted, right? Mm. Because everybody has been underweighted, as you know, in, our, in the last session, we talked about it before you know, everybody forgot that China existed for a while, right? Because people just didn't want to own any more Chinese stocks, right? Because it was just one way bet It was down, 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 down. Yeah. Now, everybody's busy trying to put position early part of the year. Of course, it's generating effect. But I'm a big believer that you know, this probably has some legs.
1: Okay. So, Anand, under your coverage, what are the proxies to this China reopening theme that you might want to suggest?
2: Yeah, I mean, the irony here is,
0: I mean, China reopening is great for the region from a macro perspective. You mm-hmm. know, tourism, investment, um, FDI, trade, uh, it's all very beneficial for for ASEAN. But whether it's good for ASEAN cap- t- capital markets or equity markets in particular, I'm a bit, you know, divided on that. Oh. Yes, there are some stocks which will do well. Mm. These are mostly the transport aviation stocks, yeah, MHB, Air Asia come to mind, maybe some tourism plays. Um, like
1: Genting, <clears throat> like perhaps. Like Genting, the
0: usual suspects. Mm. Uh, you probably can get much better exposure to a tourism thematic for China in Thailand <coughs> as compared to Malaysia. But the point is this. Uh, as Patrick mentioned, capital flows are important when it comes to market performance. So you may have a, a nice market, but if the flows are not in your favour, the market will underperform. So ASEAN has outperformed on a relative basis for the last 18 months. Yes. Yep. A lot of, we've attracted a lot of safe haven flows into the region because the rest of the world looks terrible, including China. What has changed now is China looks a lot better going forward. So it's going to be sucking out a lot of capital from okay. the region.
2: And that could impact equity market performance in ASEAN negatively. I think, I think this is probably going to be just a phenomenon, just to add to that point, right? Mm. That this is going to be in a phenomenon for the next three to six months when all the flows go into China. But at some point in the second half, or maybe the second quarter, right, where, for example, you know, Indonesia or the Vietnam or this world has decelerated in terms of performance, then there's going to be a lot of opportunities for investors out there to think mm. about it because ASEAN as a financial uh, uh, hub, you know, uh, as well as a destination for capital flows is still in in infancy. We only saw a very muted kind of inflows last year. And I think that continuation of that flow will continue over the longer term.
1: Okay, we're going to continue this conversation in a minute, gentlemen, because on The Breakfast Grill this morning is our panel consisting of Anand Patmakadhan, Head of Regional Equity Research at Maybank Investment Bank, and Patrick Chang, Chief Investment Officer, Equities ASEAN Principal Asset Management, both here to give us their views for Asian equities in 2023. After the break, let's look at what might make money in this region, BFM 89.9.
0: You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U Mobile. 5G now with you.
1: BFM 89.9. Welcome back to The Breakfast Grill, where in the hot seats this morning are Anand Patmakadan, Head of Regional Equity Research at Maybank Investment Bank, and Patrick Chang, Chief Investment Officer, Equities ASEAN at Principal Asset Management. For the break, can you make money from the China reopening theme? And the answer seems to be yes. But I want to continue our conversation on investing regionally, looking at the ASEAN markets, right? And I think we'll start with Singapore because that was the clear outperformer last year. A positive return of 3.5% in US dollar terms. It was the only market that did well, actually, uh, in positive territory. So will it continue to be the outperformer this year? Patrick, I'll start with you. Are you a Singapore bull or bear? Does that investment thesis continue into 2023?
2: Um, I think... um Singapore has outperformed simply because the financial sector did well.
1: Okay, right? so it's the banks.
2: It's just the banks, right? And I think the banks will hold up for a while, right? But for I th- a
1: while, okay. That makes me worried. Why just for a while?
2: <laughs> because ultimately, if you have expectations that the Fed will gonna pause in terms of rate hikes, then obviously the tailwinds in terms of net interest margins and all that uh, mm. will will be behind you, right? And obviously there'll be a lot more value opportunities out, outside of Singapore, right? So... I'm a firm believer that uh, obviously you're going to get some yield plays in a very, very credible yield plays in, in Singapore, like the REITs, for example. I think that's going to be a very good opportunity out there. So I think I'll look into the REITs, right? Because that has been battered down quite substantially. Yes. Um, And that gives investors both uh, long-term growth as well as income, right?
1: But if you look at it, if you look at the Singapore, uh, what's you know the, the stocks within, let's say the STI, a lot of them have regional exposure, right? And actually, some of them are good proxies to China property companies, for example. So is Singapore another way to play this China reopening theme if you pick selectively?
2: Um, yes and no. I mean, yeah, you can you can buy some selected gaming companies and all that, right? But you can also buy that in Malaysia, right? Yeah. You know, and 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 you can also buy like uh, Anand Ponting. You know, you can buy proxies to uh, the the uh, reopening in in tourism in, for example, Thailand. Malaysia or Thailand, yes. right? So I, I think there's going to be a lot of other opportunities out there for, for reopening.
1: So it's just a relative thing for you, perhaps. Okay, so Anand, yeah. do you share that same view? Are you optimistic on Singapore?
2: Uh, I'm a more neutral to slightly more
0: optimistic. Uh, mm. I think the banks have legs. I mean, we, if One sector we like across ASEAN is financials. I think okay. valuations-wise, uh, in terms of earnings momentum, uh, you know, m- net interest margins uh, fairly robust given interest rates have moved up. We are seeing deposit competition coming in now, mm. which will erode some of that uh, nim gain. But crucially, credit costs have been very well behaved across ASEAN, despite, you know, all the pressures on the economies over the last... Well,
1: they just pay you guys less, but uh, yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. I'll take out my (laughs) boss after this uh, call. But, you know, the, the crucial thing you mentioned is US dollar terms, right? So Singapore has also been outperforming a lot because its currency is viewed as a safe haven. Yes. And if any currency has been tracking or interest rates have been tracking US rates in ASEAN, it's Singapore. They have no interest rate policy. The interest rates just track US rates. So the tightened monetary policy using the currency. Yes. So that has been a big boost in terms of returns in US dollar terms for investors in Singapore. Will that fade in 2023? Uh, Probably not in the first half. I think Singapore will continue to be a safe haven sort of attraction or the Sing dollar at least. But beyond that, when we see uh, Fed rates peaking, Uh, And the interest rate cycle turning, uh, then probably I think Singapore's performance will start to uh, sort of wear off a bit.
1: Okay, so where would the money go within ASEAN, assuming that the money stays in this region? Of course, I know, Patrick, you're thinking it's all going to China, guys. It's not going to stay in ASEAN. But if you look at the rest of the region, so Jakarta was down 5% last year. Thailand was down 4%. Malaysia, the worst. uh, 9%, this is all in US dollar terms. So, will other regional markets continue to outshine us this year, Patrick? Which of the ASEAN markets look very interesting to you? Or maybe Vi- it's even Vietnam. Uh,
2: my, 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 our call on, on ASEAN, and if there's any market that we want to increase our exposure in, it will be Vietnam, right? Um, Vietnam today is trading at single-digit P's, huge amounts of growth. It has a liquidity crunch, but I think we'll pass the worst from yeah. right here. Um, and I do believe that if you take a more longer term view on the structural story that's happening in Vietnam, you know whether it's going to be the view that you know are going to be net beneficiaries of uh, foreign direct investments, you know a very very young population that's going to consume and so forth, right? Uh, this is an opportunity that you don't want to miss, all right? And so what we saw over the last couple of months um, uh, is that we have net inflows from the foreign side and net outflows from the local side, which tells me that the locals are capitulating. And the foreigners are taking a longer-term view, so I do believe that if you want to invest in a very growth-oriented market in ASEAN, this is one market. Obviously, the long-term play in ASEAN as well. The other market, which is correcting, like you rightly pointed out, is Indonesia. Mm. Now, Indonesia is a very, very interesting market because three hundred
1: million people commodities, yeah, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely, right. So that that is a, that's going to be an interesting play, maybe in the second half of, of this year after post this current correction that we had. But you know, these are all very cyclical, early cycle plays. And so if you believe in the recovery that we think about in 2024 globally, post the kind of uh, uh, rhetoric that we're hearing in terms of recession and so forth, for the record, we are not a big believer that the US is a given in terms of recession this year, most likely for the third quarter of this year. Mm-hmm. And, right, so, so I do think that if that happens, then you're going to get a significant recovery in 2024. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think this is going to be a very interesting space to be in, uh, especially in ASEAN, like Indonesia and Vietnam, and of course, the rest of uh, Southeast Asia, like Malaysia and, 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 and Thailand, which are net beneficiaries of you know the commodity boom as well.
1: Yeah, but it's a relative game, right? So we might not perform as well as them. But Anand, do you have a different view? What ASEAN markets get you excited?
0: Well, I think Vietnam is, is a good point. I mean, st- structurally, uh, it's, there's very little fault Vietnam on at this point in time. Yeah. As I always mention, you know, it's like Malaysia 30 years ago, huge inflows of investment lots of opportunity. Pre 1990s,
1: 1993.
0: Yeah, yeah, when we kicked off our careers. Yeah, uh, yours, you know, not mine. But never <laughs> well, mind. Let's not go through numbers. But uh, you know, you're seeing this this sort of a perfect uh, confluence of drivers for the economy. So that's why they have such uh, you know breakneck uh, GDP growth. So I think long term, you know, Patrick's right. Structurally, relative fault. Just want to pick the right companies, avoid the landmines like the ones we saw in the property sector. Okay, so Vietnam. what
1: should we pick then? Where, where, where is, what are your best bets for Vietnam you know, if you want to write f- yeah. this growth story?
0: Yeah, usually for the more frontier markets like Vietnam, we yeah. kind of try to go for the more regulated sectors. Uh, mm-hmm. so Or the sectors where there's less political interference. So something like consumer, uh, you know, which is a bit more sort of free uh, uh, banks as well. And logistics. I think logistics is a very natural uh, sort of um, partner to strong GDP growth, given what's driving it. Yeah, a lot of FDI, they need roads, they need ports. Uh, and those are the kind of stocks that we would be looking at in Vietnam. Uh, the other two markets that actually look good on a valuation basis are Philippines and Malaysia. Yeah, compared to historical valuations. I mean, we are okay, trading, Philippines
1: uh, is not a country I hear recommended that often.
0: Yeah, I mean, you talk about uh, Indonesia has 300 million people, yes. you know, Philippines has got 100 million people. It's, it's no slouch, let's yes. put it that way. And it has but, some world-class consumer stocks there, you know. Mm. So uh, I think the consumer space in the Philippines will be very interesting going forward once interest rates there peak.
1: But isn't yeah. it a, a country very dependent on remittances? So that's something we have to look at, right?
0: Yeah, that will continue to be the case. Uh, but I think it's gone through a lot of derating over the last 12 months due to politics. Mm. due to very aggressive monetary tightening as well. You know, it, it is very susceptible to higher energy prices because it imports most of its fuel. Uh, but once we get past this hump, I think there's a lot of value uh, in the Philippines market. And that could be a sort of surprise performer in 2023.
1: Okay, so gentlemen, we have to come back to Malaysia, right? Uh, we have to talk about it. And, you know, some would say there's a new dawn in this country. We have a unity government. Uh, we have a new prime minister, Datu Sri Anwar Ibrahim, who also is our finance minister. Good for markets, Patrick?
2: I think so. Um, but I think we the caveat is that I think we need to go through a few hurdles first. <laughs> um, and obviously, the budget, you know, politics and so forth, all that, you know, the first 100 days is very, very crucial, right? Yes. But if you take a view that, if you take a longer term view, probably post six months down the road, right? Um, I do. Be, we do believe that, um, you know, markets are pricing in very muted. I disagree with uh, Anand in terms of 16% earnings growth. I think our, our, our assumption is that core earnings is only pricing at about 2% earnings growth. We have mm. about 13% EP, uh, 13 PE, right? Basically, mm. risk premiums are way too high, which means that if the current administration is able to execute on some of the policies, which is the easy wins, for example, fixing labor issues and all that kind of stuff, and maybe even fixing our fiscal issues, then I think the risk premiums may start to drop. If that happens, you're gonna get PE rating back to the normal rate. So we are about one and one to one and a half standard deviations below the norm. So if we get that, we're gonna get a lot of tailwinds, right? Mm. And that is no easy fix, right? So I think there's still some work to be done on the policy front, but if you get past that hurdle, I think Malaysia could be a very interesting market in 2023.
1: Okay, we have a minute left before we go to news, Anand, but what do you think about this new administration? Do we have, you know, what are your expectations from it? Is it going to be a re-rating, a cause for re-rating for the FBM KLCI?
0: Yeah, you, you said good. I, I would say it's better compared mm-hmm. to what we've had for the last two years, and that should help uh, the market re-rate. So I think we separate the earnings issue from the uh, risk premium issue. So earnings, 16%, we think, uh, you know, That's something we have in our forecast. We think it will be delivered. But what valuation will the market put on that earnings? Is it 10 times, 12 times, 14 times? We think with the political risk premium coming off this year, as we expect, instead of valuing it at 10 times, the market can support something higher, like 12 or 13 times. And that's why we see the upside to our KLCI. Uh, this year, yeah.
1: okay. On a special extended breakfast grill this morning, we were speaking to Anand Patmakar, head of regional equity research at Maybank Investment Bank, and Patrick Chang, chief investment officer equities ASEAN at Principal Asset Management. When we come back from the eight thirty AM news bulletin, what exactly will revive interest in Bursa Malaysia, and what should be buy? BFM eighty nine point nine.
0: You are listening to the Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U Mobile five G now with you.
1: BFM 89.9, welcome back to a special extended breakfast grill with Anand Pat McCartan, Head of Regional Equity Research at Maybank Investment Bank and Patrick Chang. Chief Investment Officer, Equities ASEAN at Principal Asset Management. Before the 8.30am News Bulletin, which markets in ASEAN will have the best returns in 2023? But gentlemen, I want to stay on the topic of Malaysia. Now, the issue we keep hearing about is the low foreign shareholding. And unless perhaps we get foreign investors to come in droves and have inflows into this country, perhaps will the KLCI hover at where it is, which is around the 1,400 levels we haven't seemed to be been able to break out the range of 1400 to 1600 and this foreign shareholding is still hovering below 21 percent. so Anand, what needs to change for malaysians for malaysia to re-rate especially when you go marketing and you've been doing so for what 30 years with foreign fund managers why don't they uh, like malaysia 30 years exaggeration my bad 10
0: years you know exaggeration but anyway uh, no, this, this thing about foreign shareholding in Malaysia is not new. You know, foreign shareholding in Malaysia has been declining for a decade yeah, to the current lows. So it's not a recent phenomenon. And the, the, the issues are not something that's cyclical. It's actually quite structural. You know, Malaysia's weightings in many global indices has been steadily falling. The market has remained same size. Look at the KLCI. It's the same composition it was 15 years ago. Yeah, the same same old
1: economy stocks, right?
0: So the rest of the world has moved on. New markets have joined uh, indices like China and India. So Malaysia's share is diluted and Mm -hmm. foreigners sell because they are benchmarked to these indices. So that's the biggest issue. Uh, The the subsidiary issues are, you know, we are sort of a middle-income trap country.
1: GLC reform, how important is that?
0: It's extremely important. And I've talked about it for 20 years, not 30, but 20 okay, years. My bet. And it really not a lot has happened on that front because it's such a politically loaded uh, issue. But if you look at it, it's the single biggest opportunity to reinvigorate the Malaysian economy and the Malaysian equity market. GLCs are 35% of KLCI market cap. They're huge employers, they employ about 5 to 6% of the national workforce. If we could re-energize that sector, maybe, mm. you know, with new management teams, new you know new boards, uh, spinoffs, asset spinoffs, That'd better be KPIs. Uh, well, we've we've tried better KPIs. So we had a GLC transformation program from two thousand and four two thousand and fourteen.
1: Yes, I uh, remember those days under yeah, the administration under of the auspices uh, of
0: Kazana. Yes, uh, and one, we did two, see some improvement. Yeah, some companies. IHH is one. Uh, Sim Derby is the other. They did some interesting changes to boards. <clears throat> mm. You know, more accountability. IHH had a very innovative uh, incentive program, and they have been one of the better performing GLCs uh, since that program. Unfortunately, for the rest of the GLC space, it's just been a question of getting bigger and bigger, but not more efficient, not more profitable. They've just been crowding up private investment. And that is the wrong direction for a progressive economy. We can't have state-owned enterprises underperforming and dragging down the whole economy. So I think that's where the focus has to be. Why are they underperforming? They have all these assets, but the return on assets or return on investment is very, very low compared to their private sector counterparts. Mm. Let's do a study, find out what's wrong and fix it. And that is the ticket to getting both the Malaysian economy on a much stronger footing as well as foreign interest back, because these companies are huge. Yeah. yeah.
1: So let's hope Rafizi, Ramli and uh, Tungkus Zafro are listening to this. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing that I see that Malaysia lacks, and this is a question for you, Patrick, because I'm sure this is what your clients want, and that is ESG. Mm-hmm. Do, is there a dearth of ESG stocks in Malaysia, and this will be to our detriment in the coming years?
2: I think it's improving. I think a lot of our corporates that we speak to are moving towards uh, sustainability. Um, and uh, in fact, you know, we just did a, uh, a channel check on, on some uh, small to mid-cap to even uh, uh, larger cap companies. A lot of the small mid-cap companies today that we look at, you know, are quite interesting in nature. Uh, they are focused on renewables. Uh, they are focused on sustainability. So I think the movement towards uh, ESG is real. Mm. Uh, I think uh, we always call it a, a journey. So and it's that, not greenwashing? I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think, I think uh, uh, the institutional space, especially uh, uh, um, from the pension fund space, are putting a lot of pressure, even including ourselves, to move towards this. Uh, and, uh, and by doing that itself, uh, hopefully we will start to invest a little bit more in towards this, this path of sustainability.
1: Okay. Now, gentlemen, this is the interesting part. What is the investment strategy that you all are recommending? So I'll start with you, Anand. Is Is it go big or go home or still stay defensive?
0: Well, we're balanced. Yeah, so we've had this, this strategy for the last 18 months. So we don't see a reason to change it right now for 2023. Mm. Even though are, you
1: sound more optimistic.
0: Yeah, I think we can adjust the strategy closer to the middle of the year, mm. uh, perhaps to a more optimistic stance or a more growth-focused stance uh, if things pan out the way we expect. But for now, let's let's be balanced. So value and growth. I think uh, the value part probably be anchored by banking and consumer stocks. Uh, and the growth part will be your tech, uh, renewables, uh, also, your ESG plays, uh, Patrick pointed out, that's that's going to be a structural thematic for ASEAN. And I'm happy to say that Malaysia is starting to get its act together on this front, especially the regulators like Bursa SE, and, as well as the government. So I think that will make a big difference for returns on a three- to five-year time frame as well.
1: What about you, Patrick? Uh, what kind of investment strategy or asset allocation are you adopting this year? Uh, is, is there an internal debate between value versus growth or is it still very much bottom-up for, for Malaysia? Is there a theme that you're... You're adopting?
2: Um, Our view on Malaysia itself is to focus on a few key things. One of which, obviously, is the reopening place, Mm. right? Um, I think there's going to be a pent-up demand as we we speak uh, with the China proxy place, uh, whether it's gaming, airports, consumption. Uh, Secondly, uh, renewables is going to be key. Uh, I think this is something which, they are, like you're already pointing out, there aren't enough assets, so valuations could go up to the roof. But okay. having said so that, so
1: scarcity be, premium starts coming yeah. in.
2: And of course, you know, uh, the, the, the battered sector out there is uh, technology, right? So if you take a a 12-month view at some point itself, and someone asked me the other day, you know, is the technology growth over? I don't believe so. I mean, it's, it's here to stay, right? The key question is it's very, very cyclical. Valuations went up to the roof uh, up until 2021. I think it's coming to more regional levels. At some point we're being very very selective in this front. Mm. And it's a very, very interesting space to be in, I think, right. So you know, I you know, looking out at in the next six to twelve months, I think technology could be a, a very interesting sector to be in.
1: Okay, what about you, Ananum? I mean, you know, what are your top picks? Let's say for Malaysia, what, what do you recommend? Yeah, from the, you know, you do cover quite a lot of stocks.
0: Uh, yeah, so we covered about hundred and ten stocks, so we have quite a universe yes. to choose from. Uh, but just to focus on a few that we particularly like, I mentioned the banks. So I think uh, our two top picks there, Hong Leong Bank uh, and um, RHB. So it's interesting to see a lot of speculation around public bank and its stake right now. Yeah, but usually, you know, when there are these kind of Changes in in a sector, it's the companies which are not involved, which have the opportunity to pick up customers or pick up uh, talent. Mm. So uh, something like Holy Bank may be well positioned for that if there are disruptions in public bank. Uh, And RHB, great yield stock, we think. Uh, Six percent dividend yield uh, cash uh, with potential upside, given it's hugely overly capitalized at this point in time. Uh, also like Transition Place, uh, talking about sustainability, ESG, Yinsen, uh, we like in the oil and gas space, uh, looking very good value.
1: Has underperformed this year. <coughs> it though. has underperformed. Uh, last year, sorry. Yeah. Me? Uh,
0: some concerns about fundraising for the FPSO business. But I think they are spending a lot of time in the background building up their renewables portfolio, and not just in the region but globally as well, solar, uh, mm. wind. Uh, and in Malaysia, they're probably going to be going big into charging infrastructure as well. So I think in the future, you could see a spin-off of that division. Uh, and as we've seen in other countries, when you spin off your renewables uh, division, it tends to get extremely high valuations. And in Malaysia, dearth of not many choices, I think uh, it would Clever
1: be… Clever financial engineering, but uh, let's go y- Yes,
0: <laughs> yes. But, uh, well, it's not, uh, it's not different from what's happening in other countries. Let's uh, put it that way. Uh, third, I would think uh, tech, as Patrick mentioned, uh, you know, derated, rated right? Uh, but have the earnings imploded? No. When we look at Inari, Vitrox, Great Tech, uh, Front Ken, they've actually come through this this so-called slump well, mm. quite well. Uh, they remain very well run, net cash balance sheets. So I think in tech, you should be uh, quite heavily weighted as well. So those would be the three areas, financials, transition plays like yensen and tech, uh, where we... Uh, to end off, uh, just to go with what we have got right as well, uh, gloves remain underweight.
1: Okay, so 20, avoid it like the plate, still.
0: As we have for the last 12 months, yeah.
1: So average selling price is not set to improve. China still going to be a big threat. Those are still of uh, yeah. things to be concerned about?
0: Yeah, see, when China is involved, it's not just that you're a big threat, but also an unknown threat. We don't okay. know how much capacity they'll ramp up because they are thinking on these things uh, quite different. It's not just about return on capital. It's also mm. about market share and dominance. And when you're talking about market share and dominance, you can go with irrational pricing for a very long time.
1: If you you have the wallet, if you have the the wallet. wallet. Mm -hmm. So when you
0: compare Chinese balance sheets to Malaysian balance sheets and who has that sort of staying power, it worries us. Okay.
1: Patrick, what would you avoid like the plague in terms of sector calls?
2: Anything that does not have any earnings growth, which means non-quality companies which are very highly valued with non-sustainable earnings. And that could be across all other sectors. Okay. And obviously that, uh, to me selective...
1: So do your homework. You yeah. need to know the companies well at the yeah, end of the day, yeah. right? Uh, and then very quickly, for those investors who, let's say, want to sit on yield, what are your top, let's say, your top three yield picks then?
0: Okay, we have excellent yield picks in Malaysia. So the market uh, average yield now is 4.2%, 4.3%. So it's still above risk-free rates by a comfortable margin. Uh, we have a, a dividend yield portfolio we recommend to clients, about 12 stocks. The top three stocks are Malakoff, which is yielding about 10% Utilities. Right now. Yeah, uh, also, Gas Malaysia, since yes. you mentioned utilities, that's in the top three as well. And the third one is MBM Resources, which yields about 7%.
1: That's a uh, distributor of Peru a shareholder of doer uh, peru- and also distributor of some cars, right?
0: That's right. So, net, very strong net cash balance sheet. Uh, the auto business is doing well as well. So, those three would give you an average yield of ranging from 7 to 10%, as I mentioned.
1: On that note, thank you for your time. Today on The Breakfast Grill was Anand Patmakadhan, Head of Regional Equity Research at Maybank Investment Bank, and Patrick Chang, Chief Investment Officer, Equities ASEAN Principal Asset Management, who were both here to tell us how to make money from equities in 2023. BFM
0: 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by Mobile 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The
1: Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.